What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Boardroom Out of Office podcast. This is podcast number 14. This is pretty cool, number 14. And alongside me, as always, my man Gianni. Gianni, how you doing today, bro? Man, I am so excited. Today is just such a crazy day. It's selection day, bro. I hope we come out with a win. Man, so tomorrow when you listen to this podcast, hopefully we'll know who won the election. Odds are there'll still be a lot of back and forth, a lot of volatility. But you know what? If you listen to this podcast, and you know what? Dan, Gianni, you missed a good combo too, man. I know you were out of town that day, but I spoke to Brandon Marshall a few days ago, and you're going to hear the conversation in a minute. But, um, man, Brandon is a really prolific dude and somebody that in the sports world was really one of the first people to just kind of talk about mental health and I think in this conversation it's interesting we even go deeper on whether mental health is the right phrase for you know what this conversation is really all about but I'm excited for you to listen to this man he's inspiring dude and honestly like his career numbers may not really reflect how special he was but when he was healthy dude you know this guy had 21 catches in a game it's nuts. That sounds like the most ever. It has to be. We're going to ask him. I think it's a record for the most ever. We should do more homework, G. But that's not our style. That's not our style. <laughs> All right. Well, let's pray for uh, a win tonight. A win for Biden, just a, so we're clear. A win for we, Biden. We but but also before, just but for, you know, I, I want some peace, man. I want some optimism. And, you know, I'm an optimistic dude. And I got inspired by this combo. So without further ado, uh, let's move into my combo with Brandon Marshall. Mr. Brandon Marshall. Brandon, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Appreciate you guys having me. I love listening to you guys. I call myself a career learner, so I'm always learning something. You guys get free game all the time. Oh, man. That's dope. I appreciate that. And I'm the same way. Like, that's why we started the podcast, because these conversations is like, you know, where everything stems from in business. It's where everything stems from relationships. And for me, I, I went to Silicon Valley, for instance, and I didn't know shit about venture capital or investing. And I was a sponge. So I'm excited to hear you say that. And let's get into it, man. That's right. I mean, it, it has to start there, right? You know, you know, when you stop learning, man, you die. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's everything. I mean, you got to keep that brain going. So much out there in the world, you know what I mean? So many things to explore, so many things to learn. And, and, you know, I love traveling. I love reading books. I love all of that, man, because it just opens up the what ifs. Yep. So the last seven months, were you, were you locked in then on, on reading more, on watching more, on learning more? Yeah. So the last seven months, I, to be honest with you, I've been locked in on just doing shit, like just going. Right now, there's so many opportunities. And I think having that athlete ma mentality and mindset where it's just the next play, it's okay, you know, I, I missed that shot or I dropped that ball or, you know, I'm dealing with this injury, but how do I get back up? So when we, we talk about the last seven months and being in this global pandemic and racial tension soaring, it, for me, it was just like, okay, let's go. This is our time right now. And our space and a wellness space is so crowded. And now it's, it's not as noisy. So this is our opportunity for us to really make a name for ourselves and be in perfect position post uh, uh, pandemic. So, you know, I, you know, I'm always learning and reading, but I slowed down during this time because I already knew what we, who we were and what we wanted to do. So for me, it was about where are the opportunities? 
people being furloughed, people being let go. Um, who can we bring on to our team? Add to add to our team. Bring on as a consultant. And uh, you know, we we just started moving, man. And uh, you know, I, I really feel like we're in perfect position right now. You know, for me personally, too, the last seven months were like as big a growth as I've ever made professionally in business, which is, you know, it's odd to say and it's tough to say publicly, right? In a time when clearly most of the world is struggling. Yeah. But I took that same mentality and that was both in how do I help with the situation in the world right now and how do I actively give back, not just with money, but with listening and, and learning and making sure my children are listening and learning right now. But also in business, if you are fortunate enough to do what you love, right? And I think that shined during this time more than ever. If you love what you do, you had the ultimate escape. You had the ultimate escape from like the reality of the world. And you could focus and lock in and kind of take an inventory because there was no more, there was no bullshit associated with it, right? Like you had to get the work done and you had to speak to people. So did your business, like you said, you were doing, 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 did you see that progress in your business? 100%, but more from a, a foundation standpoint and a structure standpoint. Um, our goal is to be a global company. You know, we feel like the athletes, we're the healthiest people on the planet, but we don't own the thing that is just what we do every single day. And, and, and people, they don't train like us. They don't, they don't adopt our lifestyle. The Barry's boot camps of the world, the equinoxes of the world, like they awesome. But that's not how athletes train. That's not how we eat. That's not how we sleep. So for me, you know, being this global brand and using the athlete's lifestyle to appeal to the gym pop, I knew we needed to have the structure and the foundation in place to be able to scale and maintain. So I took this time to really bring on some powerful executives. There were some people that left Quibi, I brought on. There were some people that left the NFL, I brought on. And we really focused on the fundamentals. And I uh, feel really good about where we're at right now. We're about to launch our supplements. Uh, finally, on Amazon, we're going to do some crazy things there. Um, Ecom, retail, wholesale, open up facilities. You know, so our, our 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 approach was let's get some deals done now. So when we get to post pandemic, we're opening up Miami, we're opening up um, at, uh, Santa Monica, we're opening up Atlanta. So that was our mentality. We're launching, you know, our apparel. Um, so. You know, that's what we focused on was more so the fundamentals, understanding who we are, and then also making sure we had the people, the process, and then the product in order. So this, this time has been awesome for us. We're thinking more long-term, you know, not like, okay, how do we win right now, but how do we build it right now so then we can then take off next year? Mm -hmm. So what, it, it, and that's the House of Athlete, right? That's the name of the corporation? Correct. Yep. House of Athlete. And it's... I guess like the elevator pitch, you would say it's a, a health and wellness brand focused in e-commerce content culture. Is that safe to say? So let me, it, this is the easiest way to, to describe House of Athletes. So there's three verticals we're playing in. Brick and mortar facilities. I've, we've been training professional athletes and, uh, for, for, for 10 years now. Um, we never focused on gym pop. That's where the money's at. Uh, that's where the biggest opportunity is. The, the, second, the second vertical for us is supplements, which is it's a, it's even a bigger industry, bigger opportunity. And the third was apparel, understanding e-com, understanding wholesale re uh, and retail. Um, so House of Athlete, all it is, it's we are the healthiest people on the planet. 
train like us, adopt our lifestyle. I took my 13 years experience of being in the NFL, traveling the world, going to Dusseldorf, Germany to see Dr. Peter Willing for Regenicon treatment, going to uh, London Wellbeing Trust to get stem cell treatment, going to, you know, right there in New York, seeing Dr. Kapla and taking all of that, the access, the service, the products that we had available for us to optimize our health and put it into this one concept. So that is House of Athlete is like, this is, this is what we do every single day as athletes to optimize our health. Right now, more than ever, everybody's talking about health, 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 health. Well, why don't you just follow the healthiest people on the planet? You know, nobody does it better than us. Nobody trains better than us. Nobody recovers better than us. Nobody sleeps better than us. Nobody supplements better than us. Nobody tracks their macronutrients better than us. So how do we take the thing that we own as athletes and fuse this into this concept and scale it for, to the gen pop? Um, we just feel like, man, you know, people are hurting out there, man. They're following all these trends. They're following all these fads, you know, fad diets, fad workouts. And then they're not getting the results that they, they're looking for. Yeah. And well, first of all, I wouldn't be able to track my macronutrients if my life depended on it. But <laughs> <laughs> explain to me, like, what is your competition then these household brand name gyms like an Equinox? Is that what that is? Yeah. So uh, I would say we created uh, the Soho House and Wellness. Um, that's what we created. And you know, from an athletic performance standpoint, the best in class was EXOS. When we talk about professional youth athletes to pro athletes training at their facilities. So you have EXOS there. They never focused on the gen pop. Now they're making a play for gen pop. Well, House of Athlete, we're in between the Equinox and, 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 and also EXOS, where we train athletes from ages 11 all the way to pro athletes, combine training. Like right now we have some of, we have five of the top, opt-out guys training for the NFL draft right now. We got NBA draft next year. We're launching that. Uh, then on the gen pop side, semi-private, private. private um, but that's brick and mortar, okay? But then there's the whole digital play as well. But, um, yeah, so we're in between. We're just taking, you know, with Rumble Boxing, Barry's Boot Camp, Equinox. So merging those and putting a dope brand around that, and that is House of Athletes. Like, people don't just want to go train, and, like, I don't, I, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm just working out by myself. They need a coach. They need somebody to walk them through that. Um, so that's, that's what we did. We merged boutique fitness with a big box facility. Our facility is around 20,000 square feet, and uh, put this whole um, um, concept together. How do you spread that to some of the underserved communities that won't be able to afford or have access to this because that's where it's needed i'm sure more than ever at at the real youth level that's, that's unbelievable that you asked that question so i've been doing this since 2011 when i was playing for the miami dolphins is when i started this i started with chad ochocinco terrell owens chris johnson um rudy gay amari stoudemire like those boys was training at my house okay and i started scaling these facilities opened up in South Florida, opened up in Orlando, opened up in Chicago, trying to figure this thing out. And when I was in Chicago, I remember standing in my little condo and, and I could see the South side of Chicago. And I had this moment where I'm like, man, I'm so excited about this, this market because you have Lakeshore, you have Northbrook, you have Naperville. You talk about amazing affluent areas where you could, we could have opened up eight facilities in Chicago. And then I said, 
but I'm not even thinking about the south side of Chicago. I'm not thinking about the west side of Chicago because our people can't afford it. And that, and that moment is when I was like, you know what, this is what we're going to do. Every territory, new territory that we go in, we're going to launch a tribe house. And the tribe house is, just think about like church. So we have 3,000 members. We have 3,000 members averaging $300 a month. So what we're going to do is take 10% of that, and that's going to go to funding a facility in the south side of Chicago, funding a facility in Opelika, Florida, funding a facility in Brooklyn. So that's the goal. As an athlete, you know, we have pro athletes training here. We have 50 pro athletes training at this facility. It's easy for us to, to, to put, a, put together a scramble golf tournament, raise $400,000, and fund a whole operation for our community. Like, we don't need much. We just need access. You know, I come from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the poorest county in all of Pennsylvania. I wish I had a house of athlete there. Just imagine what type of athlete in person I would have been if I had access to this. So that is the goal. Every new territory we go, we're looking at 43 of the biggest economies in the world, and we're going to launch a tribe house there. And, and that's the goal is to give away $400 million through our memberships. So that is, that, that, that's, that is the why, man. Um, to me, once I found out, like, you know, as far as like this, when I walked in and I saw the impact that we were making on people, then I shift focus from the nonprofit to the for-profit. I said, hell, you know, it, 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 you know, it's awesome raising money, but it, it's also tough sledding. It's hard. I'm going to go raise my own damn money. I'm going to go make my own damn money and fund the things I want to do in our communities. And, and for me, that's the way I want to give back is I feel like everybody should have access to health and wellness at the highest level. Man, that is perfectly said because for us and even for Kevin, raising money is just tough. Raising money for your organization and you want to do so much for your community, for communities like yours. And when you get to where you got and to where KD got and all your peers got, I know, I see it firsthand, the instinct to give back, give back, give back is crazy. The way you got to do it, though, sometimes is through your business, is in building your business and your success and taking your own money, building back into the community, giving jobs back into the community. You can't, it's so hard to wait on money, man. It's so hard. The only way to do it as an athlete is to throw a gallon, take 8,000 pictures. And that doesn't feel authentic. That's right. 100%. It has to be authentic and real. Um, and, and look, everybody's thing is different, man. And for me, it just happened to be mental health. And I just truly believe to be um, mentally whole, we have to focus on five things. And, and that doesn't matter who you are. And these are some of the things that our top athletes in the world do. We all train, we all fuel correctly. So that's when we talk about macronutrients and supplementation, that's why we're in that business. Because it's not about like, you know, oh, we wanna do a lot. It's like, no, for us to unlock our full potential, this is what we do every single day. The third is mentally fit. We gotta have a game plan for both ends of the spectrum, whether you're dealing with impairment, anxiety, depression, or just high performers, you're raising money, you just closed a big deal, you just had a, a huge game, you had the game winning shot, right? Like you have to have a plan when it comes to mental fitness. And I use mental fitness because we got to change the language. Mental health is too much stigma. The fourth thing is recovery. If, you, if you're dealing with issues and alignment issues, you know, knee issues, ankle issues, that affects you mentally and physically, obviously. You got to know when to calm down. You got to know when to shut off. Like I saw you, when we launched, when we when we started this 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 episode, you know, I, I log in and you got your eyes closed and you're meditating, like you're 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 finding your breath. That's the most powerful thing that we have is our breath. So 
teaching people how to recover. And the last thing is tribe is team. Like there's nobody that made it to the top by themselves, but that's the athlete way. Like we're used to community. We're used to leaning on each other to get to the next level. So those five things is what we believe will help people unlock their full potential, no matter who they are. Mm -hmm. Oh, so let me add on the physical side of what you do. I think it, you know, how you were inspired to do that, I, I think it's pretty clear for us to see. If you watched football at all, to me, you look like the most physically fit athlete on the field, period. Like, I think that was your rep. So understanding that you've made that part of your life, both philanthropically and professionally, makes sense. On the mental side, did all of this stem from what you dealt with in your career and your own self-inventory and kind of training and then realize that not just, you know, your community, but in general, that this was something you wanted to be a part of. Did it stem from just your experiences? Yeah, so 100%. Um, 2011, I was on the campus of McLean Hospital, and my life was a living hell. Um, on the field, I was balling, I was producing at a high level, but my relationships off the field, uh, they it, it, it were terrible. You know, and it, I was a young athlete, obviously, and you know, had access to the entire world. I could do whatever, all the pressure, friends, family. I need this. I need that. I didn't know how to cope and manage that, long story short. So I went to McLean Hospital for three months, outpatient program, diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. The best way to describe that is an emotional disorder. We all on this, on this, on this episode right now, something happens to all of us, the same thing. Someone who's dealing with borderline personality disorder and it may be out of control in their life, they, it may take them longer to get back down the baseline. We may be sitting here like, man, that was messed up what just happened. But if you, if you don't have that in order, if you don't have the skills and the tools, you may be sitting there for an extra day, an extra week, maybe even a month still dealing with carrying that stuff that just happened. So I had to go through dialectical behavior therapy cognitive behavior therapy, self-assessment, one-on-one with the amazing Dr. Gunderson to pick up the tools and skills just to be able to self-regulate and cope. So on the campus of McLean Hospital, I'm sitting in this, in this circle in group therapy, and I'm sitting next to a young lady who was self-harming herself. That was the first time I ever heard that before, someone cutting themselves. And then the, the, next lady, the, the lady next to her, when it was her turn to speak, she talked about how she tried to take her life the night before. And then here I am, this big macho football player, and I'm dealing with what I was going through. And we all got up after that hour. I went back to Reebok's headquarters to go prepare for the NFL season and train. They went back to work. Somebody went back to school. Somebody went back to the office. And I just remember thinking, like, holy crap. All of us just shared those stories, and we're going back into civilization like nothing happened. How many more people out there are, are suffering or suffering in silence? So this whole House of Athlete thing, that's where that was made. That's where that came from. It's like, how do we unlock full, uh, uh, a human's full potential? If you told me going to the, the, outer, the outer limits of, of space was the key, I'll be right there next to, to Elon Musk. If you told me going to the deepest depths in the sea was to do that, that's what I'd be doing. That's what it's about is how do we feel again? How do we be human again? Um, so that's, that's where all this came from. And that's where I realized what my purpose was on this earth. So, you know, the journey was nonprofit and, you know, we tried to do what Livestrong and Lance Armstrong did, but we were before time and, and hats off to Kevin Love. Like I, you know, he is doing a phenomenal job of pushing the conversation around mental health forward. Um, 
But now what I realize, and I talk to Kevin about this all the time, I'm like, man, we got to change the language. We got to talk, we got to go from mental health to mental fitness. It's everything. It's not just, you know, let's sit down and, and go through a self-assessment. Let's, you know, go through a clinical evaluation and take group therapy. Like we got to eat right. We got to train right. You know, we got to have healthy relationships. I couldn't agree with you more on changing the verbiage. And I think that is why the stigma has not gone away. And I know it hasn't gone away because of the few people in your life that you talk to about that kind of shit. And you know that everybody's going through shit. So I've been somebody when I was 18 years old, I had a really messed up childhood, but on in terms of emotional, right? Like I didn't lose a parent, but I, my parents got divorced. Shit was really stressful and damaging and volatile. And I got through it and I was considered tough. And I got to college and I couldn't breathe. I had anxiety attacks and panic disorder. And I'm 19, 20 years old, right? And honestly, like a 19 year old kid partying in New York had to deal with the fact that like half the rooms I went into, I would have a panic attack. But mental health, nah, I didn't think I had any mental health issues. I had some panic attacks, right? Yeah. Well, it's the same exact thing. And when people see <laughs> Kevin Love, People think Kevin loves stories nuts. Now, I'm not saying he hasn't pushed the conversation forward, but when I hear what happened to him in the game, I'm like, yeah, you had an anxiety attack, bro. I've had 35,000 yep. anxiety attacks. I had one the morning I got married. I had one the day my kid was born. I got myself through it, and I'm as chill as could be after it. I don't think I have mental health issues because mental health issues would mean what? That I'm like highly medicated. I got seven personalities. That's still what people think. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you change that? Because I think people celebrate you and they celebrate Kevin Love for speaking out. But if I was like, yo, same shit you have is what Kevin Love had. They'd be like, no, 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 I'm not. No, I don't. I'm not crazy. Like, yeah. How do you change that? Yeah. So how you change that? And now you put me on a spot. That's the secret sauce. Um, so here... Like you go to, let's say, some of the popular boutique fitness facilities, Rumble Boxing, um, Barry's Boot Camp, even Equinox. You have Soul Cycle. You have uh, Orange Theory. These people are freaking crushing it right now. Obviously, people are struggling right now during this pandemic. But like that, that, that those are the, the top dogs when it comes to, you know, brick and mortar facilities doing well. So here, when let me let me go back again what i did is i took my 13 years experience and infused it into this concept when i walked into the new york giants and the new york jets facility i had everything there i had athletic trainers physical therapists i had coaches i had mental health practitioners i had nutritionists everything was integrated so here yeah we got the cool classes but guess what else you have when you log into your app and you are like, oh, do i take that seven o'clock class or I take that eight o'clock class you also have what self-assessment on there so on our beautiful bleachers we got people literally sitting down with mental health practitioners group therapy we got 20 30 people taking group therapy and it's just something that we do it's 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 there's there's no stigma around it there's no taboo it's like look we come here to get better physically and we come here to get better mentally and that's where this tribe and this community has really taken off and showed me like yo we got something here because when people come in and you can see the stories that we tell on our social, everything's about mental health. Oh, when I came to House of Athlete, the first, like I was the first time I was able to deal with my anxiety or, you know, I was depressed and, you know, getting in shape helped me do X. 
because where we gather those stories is when we're sitting on those bleachers or we're sitting in uh, uh, being, uh, being, uh, yoga and afterwards we're asking people, how are you doing? Well, Bob, Bob, I'm doing this and this is what I'm dealing with. Well, have you seen Wendy? Well, what is Wendy? Well, Wendy, if you watch the show Billions, you, you know who Wendy is. Wendy Rhodes. There you go. So people are like, what is Wendy? I'm like, well, Wendy, we have a whole mental health uh, a vertical here. So you need to go see Wendy. We have mental health practitioners that you can talk to. And also, if you just log into the app, take the seven o'clock class where we're all gathering, just talking. It ain't nothing crazy. All it is is, how are you doing? And through that, people are connecting with different emotions and being vulnerable in front of each other. And that's how we humanize. It's like, we have to, we have to do group therapy, man. But you can't, it can't be separate. It can't be, I got to go to McLean Hospital. Why can't I get the same help or have someone there that can walk me through what I may be going through where I train? And I, I used to tell the NFL this, you know, back in the day, and we finally got it done. I said, before I retire, this is what I want to see. I want to make sure that it's mandated that every organization have a mental health practitioner on site. That's number one. And two, let's take that mental health practitioner, let's take her from the third, he or she, from the third floor and put her or him right next to the strength and conditioning coach. So when I walk into this, the, the weight room and I walk into those offices, you don't know if I'm going in for performance or impairment. It's natural. So that's how we, that's how we humanize it. That's how we make it an everyday conversation by making an everyday conversation and bridging the gap between where we train and also where we go get help mentally, man. I, you know, I, so far, so good is working. And we just got to continue to have these conversations um, and, and we'll definitely keep pushing this thing forward. Uh, I, listen, man, at the end of the day, physical health for your body, mental health for your mind, and it should be one day as common as when LeBron comes off the court. Yo, Kevin, what happened, man? You, you hurt yourself? Nah, anxiety attack, bro. That's right. And he's like, all right, bet. I'll see, you. I'll see you next game. Because at the end of the day, this shit is common. It's part of our lives. There's tools and resources, like you said, but it's taking people like you um, to put it in, in terminology where, like Gianni, someone like you and your friends could say, you know what, man, the way Brandon Marshall is putting this shit to me makes sense. It ain't that deep. I'm not nuts. I can have a panic attack at 9 a.m. and go about the rest of my day and conquer the world. Like, I'm not crazy. Yeah, what did we see in the bubble? Paul George. Oh, why is Paul George playing so bad? Well... Man, I, I was, I'm dealing with a little bit of anxiety, depression. He said that. That was big, right? That was real big. And then look at Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott said, man, my brother took his life and that really affected me, you know, bigger than I thought. And to the point where I was depressed and I wouldn't even come outside. And what did we do in the media? The media started laughing. I don't want to hear that on my quarterback. I view that as an opportunity for us to educate and also discuss, you know, the, the importance of mental health. But now we're seeing our professional athletes come out and, and tell their experiences more because we put these athletes on a pedestal, but they go through the same thing that everybody else go through. When we talk about anxiety, we talk about depression, we talk about just stress, we talk about just bad days. So as long as we're more, we continue to be vulnerable, I see this thing shifting in the next couple of years and, and, and our athletes leading the way to just seeing a healthier community and just seeing a healthier world. Uh, because it affects all of us. Did you tell Skip Bayless that he was irresponsible with his with his verbiage on it? You know what? I didn't have to because the whole everybody jumped on him, and and that's when you know, like, okay, we're 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 moving in the right direction. But one hundred percent, Skip Bayless, 
it's it's unbel it's unbelievable. Like he with his platform still plays into the stigma, right? He knows better, or maybe he don't. But you know, we've had these. I've had these conversations with him. I sat there on first things back when he was on ESPN. First things first. Um, uh, excuse me. Um, first take. I had these conversations with him, you know, talking about my experiences and talking about these other professional athletes, Kevin Love, DeRozan, and what they were going through. So it's just irresponsible, using your words, for him to come out and say that. Well, I, I don't know if he knows better, but there's, there's room for Skip Bayless in this world, man. <laughs> <laughs>
insert AB. AB does have that type of mentality, um, but I think that mentality was broken this last year. So I think he understands that this is an opportunity for him to actually get his career back on track. There's no way um, – I don't see – I just don't see A.B. coming in and being disruptive to that locker room and asking for the ball. He knows his position. He knows his role. And Tom Brady does a great job of throwing, throwing the ball to where it's supposed to go and throwing it to the open man. So I think they'll be fine there. Do you, you know what, though? We did an episode on the boardroom about – the kind of persona of a wide receiver and whether it was like nature or nurture, like whether guys like you and, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Ocho and T.O. And though you didn't have similar way about you, those bigger than life personalities, do you, do you need that to be a receiver, to be a star receiver? Well, yeah, yeah. I think, I think if you want to be a star, right. Cause we walk around, we have our helmets on. People really don't know us. We're not like, it's not like, you know, we're global, stars and you know like the like the nba you know so if you want to be a superstar you got to have a little antics about you you got to be able to build your brand the odell beckham juniors of the world the ochos of the world the tos of the world like you got to have a little bit of oomph to you but i i say this about the wide receiver position when we talk about like you know selfishness versus team guy etc cetera, etc cetera. we are we are the one position on the field where our success is in the hands of other people, like the quarterback, right? Like your success is predicated on if this guy's good or not. Look at Baker Mayfield and OBJ. Like OBJ, look at his stats the last two years. Are you kidding me? This is the best athlete I've ever been around, hands down. And you mean to tell me he, he's not in the top five in wide receiver categories every single year? That's because of, that's because of his quarterback. And then also the offensive coordinator, the system that you walk into, you know, like that is a big deal. If I would have went to a running team, the Wildcat back in 2010, then I wasn't going to have 100 catches. I wasn't going to have 1,500 yards, 15 touchdowns. So that, to me, makes up a lot, right? Because we know it's a billion-dollar business. Multi, it's a big – it's a $10 billion business. We got multi-million-dollar athletes. Your job is to produce. So when you tell me like, okay, to make, to, to get to the next level, I got to produce, but then you're not throwing me the ball. I think that's, that's challenging for a lot of guys at the wide receiver position. So, you know, there's a lot to it. Um, I don't really vibe with the guys that, you know, the diva, you know, I, you know, yeah, was I a knucklehead my first couple years? 100%. Did I learn from that? 100%. But I don't vibe with the whole diva, you know, uh, personality and persona you know, that wasn't me. For me, it was all about winning and, and just getting the job done. And I didn't know how to communicate that with my team. So, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes those first four years and was able to turn it around, you know, uh, after that. Did your, like, did you feel like you didn't have the right quarterback and coaches and coordinators? Because, again, the eye test, if I watch 20 people play football, if I only watch 20 games, no media, no stats, nothing. And then someone said, name the best three players you saw on the field. If you're healthy, I'm naming you. You had 21 catches in a game, yeah. bro. <laughs> yeah. But. You being nice. No, I'm being honest, man. You were a problem. <laughs> and I lived in New York when you played for the Jets. Like, I didn't even realize you had. Oh, that was fun. You had 100 some odd catches with the Jets. Like, when you played, you dominated. When you look at your career, like, what, how, would you, how would you review your career? Oh, boy, you put me on the spot. Um, unfinished, bro. 
unfinished, right? Like, you know, team goals, ultimate goal, win the Super Bowl. I didn't get that done. And as a, you know, you know, my, my individual stats, um, I was off. Like my goal, like I thought I was going to retire in the top five of every single re receiver category outside of touchdowns. And I came short. So for me, I was always goal oriented. And for me not to hit those goals and those marks, you know, that's what I got to live with, you know, and, and I'm okay with it. But I'm, I had 970 receptions, 30 damn receptions away from a thousand, right? Like that, it just looks sweeter if you got that thousand, right? So, you know, I think it was unfinished, but I'm okay. Like I worked my tail off. Like that's one of the things that I, you know, that I realized early is you can only can control what you can control, right? And I'm gonna set these lofty goals but I'm okay with coming short because I know at the end of the day that I did everything I could possibly do in the off season, in season to make sure that, you know, I put myself in position and my team in position. So, you know, it's unfinished, but I, I still believe I had a hell of a career and just truly blessed. I think receivers, like it's an, receivers are in a tricky situation because you had a string of circumstances, right? You had a lot of injuries, and I saw, like, I read some of this, like, you had some of those injuries where, like, you got hit in the back by somebody else's knee, right, and you broke your ribs. So you had some bad luck with injuries. Yep. You had some shitty teams. Like, you, I mean, you had quarterbacks that you made look good, right? I'll say it for you. You had offensive coordinators you made look good. But then what happens is you get moved around because of that. Like, you did your job. When you were healthy, you did your job. But in a wide yeah. receiver position, you become, like, instantly expendable. Like, one year, you're the face of the franchise, and they're selling your jerseys. All right, cool. We need a new quarterback. We're firing a coach. We're not going to win next year. He had 100 catches. Let's trade him. Yep. No, you're right, man. Well, one of the things, I, 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 the injuries didn't get to me until the end of my career. I always found a way to play through it. So, like, the years that I ended up having, I had three hip surgeries. Every year, it was a Pro Bowl year or All-Pro year for me. You know, just finding a way to play through it. Um, now, what ended my career was that ankle injury in year 13. Um, but, yeah, man, you're right. It's for, I think where things just got way off track for, 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 for me as far as, like, you know, not having the perfect fit was Josh McDaniels coming to Denver. So we had Mike Shanahan, perfect. West Coast offense. I'm the traditional X receiver backside. One-on-one, Brandon's getting the ball. You know, third and long, Brandon's getting the ball. Um, we had a good thing going. Drafted in 2006 in the fourth round. First round was Jay Cutler. Second round was Tony Scheffler. We had Ryan Clady at left tackle. Ryan Harris at right tackle. Chris Cooper at right guard. We had Eddie Royal as the Z receiver. We had a young core group of guys that could have stayed together for the next 10 years. Our last year together, we were the number one office throughout the entire year. Drew Brees end up in the Saints end up being becoming the one, the number one offense the last game of the season by like two yards. Coach Shanahan gets fired. Josh McDaniels comes in. Josh McDaniels, the very first meeting, put up all of our highlights and no, not our highlights, our bad plays and said, you guys think y'all are good? Now, mind you, this young 
high-flying offense, number two behind Drew Brees, the Super Bowl champions, Drew Brees. Do you guys think y'all good? Y'all aren't good. And in front of the whole organization, just, 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 just ripped us apart. And from that moment, Jay Cutler was like, I'm out of here. I'm asking for a trade. And then when, Dre, when, when Jay put his house on the market, I put my house on the market. And then it was just never a good fit. So I, I, what I should have did was went to a, like a New England Patriots. But what I did was I chased, tried like the perfect situation, being in Miami, the money, all of that. And it just wasn't right. So I, w- I kept going to losing organizations, teams that was looking for players like myself and that homegrown talent, not building it through the draft. And what happened would, would be they'll give us two, three years, and then all of a sudden fire everybody, new regime come in. So that's what happened to me when I went to Chicago. It happened in Miami, happened in uh, the Jets. And the Jets was my all-time favorite, by the way. Um, so I just think that I just went to losing situations. I can't believe you just said the Jets were your all-time favorite, bro. Talk to me about that. It was, bro. Oh, my goodness. Fitz magic. He made it fun. You know, you got to think about there was no expectations. Every thought, everybody thought we were going to suck. And um, that was a magical year, bro. Just being with the guys and how we won games. It was myself, Eric Decker, Ryan Fitzpatrick, yeah, Bilal Powell and um, Matt Forte, and again, offense was just tremendous. I'll have 100 yards receiving, 10, tu- 10, 10 touches, a tub, two tubs. Eric Decker have the same. Matt Forte go over 100. Like, nobody could stop us. And, um, you know, so just that year was just magical, just being with the guys and how we won games. And, of course, the Jets got in the way. They didn't want to give Ryan Fitzpatrick the bag. I'm like he was the he's the best quarterback that this franchise franchise has had in 15 years, 20 years. Give the man 12 million. The top quarterbacks are making 24 million dollars. Like what he just did for us, you're going to break this up, and, and and that that ruined everything. I thought we were we would be able to come back and and contend, um, but it we all imploded. Yeah, and that's because. Like, would you have went 13-3 and three the next year? No, and I feel like that's the problem. The Jets had a legitimate shot the next year to go 10-6, and six, make the playoffs, bring We back. did that the year before. We won 10 games that year. That was the year that Geno Smith got punched. Oh, that's right. That's the year he got his jaw broken in the, in the locker room. Wait, wait. So G, the, Geno's second so, year, right, was the year he got punched in the locker room, and that's the – That was his third year. Third year, and that's the year you guys won 10 games. Yep. Insert Ryan Fitzpatrick. He took it. And ran with it. But no playoffs, right? You guys didn't make the playoffs? Went to we went to Buffalo when and we're in. Oh, I remember that. And oh my goodness. You gonna remind me of that. All we had to do is win and we will be in and we imploded, man. So when you look back on your career, you feel like it's unfinished. Do you think that that's a feeling you'll live with or you think that that's just the feeling that you have because when I see you, you look like you could probably still ball so it probably feels so close still yeah no um I know deep down I know that this was a magical run a magical career like if at the beginning of this journey if I said like this is what you're going to do like I would have said no way you know people dream to have careers like this and you know 
I'm proud of that. But I also realized while I was playing for the Jets that I would never be satisfied. So you could have, I could have went for, I could have broken all of Jerry Rice's records and I still would have been like, man, there's more. That, and, and that was a huge struggle for me. I never realized, I never could figure out like why I never was happy with what I was watching on film. I'll have 150 yards, two touchdowns, and I still would be watching film cringing like, oh, like that was a mistake. I could have done this. And then I had this defining moment sitting in the, in the wide receiver room like six in the morning one day playing for the Jets. And I was like, you know what? That attitude is what drives me. It's, I feel like it's un, it is unhealthy, but I'm like, that's why I continue to excel and continue to reach new levels because I'm always pushing myself. I'm never content. You know, so no, no matter what would have happened in my career, I probably, you know, would have wanted more. And I think that's a problem for a lot of people. You know, it's always more, 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 more. But like me as a, a football player, me as an entrepreneur, I'm like, you know what? That's why I was successful in football. That's why I'm going to be uh, successful in business now that I'm done playing. Because when I walk into these facilities or I'm sitting in my executive meetings, I'm, a pay I'm paying attention to every single detail. Why is the trash the way it is? you know, that's not okay. That's not the Ritz-Carlton standard. Or why are we accepting 2% conversion percentage on our website when it should be 3.5, right? Like, no, we're not selling for, for good. So, you know, that mentality is just like balancing it and making sure that it just doesn't get into that unhealthy state where I'm ruining myself or my team. But that standard um, is why I was successful in football and why I believe I'll be successful in business. I mean, and I think for receivers' legacies, like at least I can say this, right? In the again, in the in how I I would view your career, I don't think it's fair. Receivers don't get enough credit when the team wins, but at the same time, you would never see someone be like, "Man, he didn't win a chip." That's like really relegated to quarterbacks, right? So, I know internally you feel like, "Damn, I didn't get to play at the biggest stage," but I don't think that gets held. Um, against receivers your stats and the records you hold whether they stand or not the eye test once again like people know who you are you you made people like stop and watch and for generations those are the players they really remember and now you're on tv right so now it's like being reinforced and now you're building a business and you're um, speaking on mental health for 10 12 years now whatever it may be and and then you started you know 375 right like your mental health business or your mental health initiative um so like you're, all of that will enforce uh, and, and, and make people, in my opinion, see what you did. And to me, that is important. I know a lot of people say I don't care about that shit. But as you get older, man, legacy is important. When you have kids and having people really regard you for what was fact, you know what I mean? And, and um, you know, I think you're putting yourself in a position now where people are going to see the whole picture, right? Like you've had important conversations, did incredible things in the field. Now you're doing incredible things in the world. I appreciate that, man. And, and, and that's what it's about. You know, at the end of the day, it, it's like I struggled with I struggled with sports. And I think a lot of athletes struggle with, you know, the sport defining them. That's why a lot of us struggle when the game is taken away from us. We're retired. We're cut. We get injured uh, because we have no identity outside of the game. And for me, I always realized once I you know, left McLean Hospital what my purpose was. And that's, that's, that's what matters. It's like, how do I use this platform to bridge the gap in the mental health community? So, at the, you know, th that, the whole football talk, I'm just so competitive as a person. 
and, and I'm like, damn, like, if this isn't my purpose, why do I struggle so much with wanting to be great and break all these records and win Super Bowls when it really don't matter? And I just chopped it up to just the competitive nature, how God made me. Um, but at the end of the day, like, what matters is how I affected people. You know, did I do my job? And I truly believe my job on this earth is to bridge the gap in the mental health community. So, you know, the, the sports talk is great, but I know my why. Yeah. And the sports talk, it matters, but it doesn't define you. It, it Correct. It's, it's part of who you are, but it defines you in a, the other things you do, but also like how you sleep at night, right? Like and how you feel inside, like how you really, really feel. And if you're feeling that feeling of content and that um, you're okay with like that drive that you're always going to have, that paranoia about who's on your tail that all entrepreneurs have, um, you know, but at the same time, it, 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 it's okay to not have a Super Bowl, man. It's okay to not have made the playoffs. Like the work you put in came across in your performance on the field, but it is, it's tough for athletes to really see that because it is stats, 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 chip, chip, chip. And yeah, you know, it matters, man. It matters like business matters. But when somebody's on their deathbed, like they always say, they never talk about like the meeting they miss or the, the business that they weren't able to sell was about the time they spent. So it's the same for athletes. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You just got to accept it and just, you know, understand what really matters, you know, but for me, it was just, I'm so, you know, I'm big on routine. I'm big on, uh, on goal setting. And when you set these goals and you knock them down year after year after year, and then you get on the biggest stage and then you start knocking down these goals year after year after year. Like I hit all my goals. And then it was like, okay, eventually I'm, because I, because I have this amazing routine and I call it the championship routine. What am I trying to accomplish? Now reverse engineer, figure out what it's going to take to get there. So once I figure that out, then I just do the same thing over and over again. I just don't break the routine. So for me, it was just a matter of time before that Super Bowl came. It was a matter of time before those thousand catches came, right? So I think how competitive I, competitive I am with myself is why I struggle. But now, you know, it's just like I get that same juice when I walk into House of Athlete, you know what I mean? And I feel like all those lessons that I learned and the things that I went through, the experiences, built me for this. And this is the legacy part we're talking about. Do you think you'll ever get back in the league in any way? <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> People ask me all the time. There was a few calls this, this year, and it just, it, it just wasn't right. You know what I mean? Like, for me to walk away from what I'm doing now, like, it, it had to be – like, I can't go back and lose, bro. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I want to go through the right situation. So you never know. I, I'm done. But – um. You know, who knows? Maybe Todd Bowles bring me in that tight end next year. Ooh, I like that, bro. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Um, all right, man. What's your prediction for the Super Bowl? Okay, so I got the Pittsburgh Steelers losing to the Seattle Seahawks by seven. But look, I, and here's the reality, just being honest with you. That was my preseason pick prediction. So I just want to have some take integrity and stick with that. Uh, but right now, I like Tampa, okay? I like Tampa coming out of the NFC and then the AFC. I still like the Steelers, but Big Ben throwing, you know, a couple picks last week and playing background backyard football, I, that didn't impress me. 
So it may be the Chiefs repeating. Wait, so you have like a uh, picks on the record, and then these are the picks that we get here on this show. Yeah, so like, you know, preseason, that was the prediction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the prediction. I had Russell Wilson, MVP. I got you. Um, I said uh, Seattle and Pittsburgh in the Super Bowl. I also picked some dark horses. I talked about, you know, nobody was, everybody's picking the Baltimore Ravens and the Chiefs. I'm the one that said Pittsburgh still. I said I also like the Titans. Uh, I like the Colts. Um, those are some teams that stood out to me. Uh, but the reality is when you look at it right now, Tampa Bay is complete. You know, that like what Tom Brady is doing and, 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 and Coach Todd Bowles on the defensive side, that they're a problem. And then in the AFC, I still like I still like Baltimore, but the Chiefs, man, until someone dethrone them, they are the top dogs. If Brady wins a seventh Super Bowl <laughs> in Tampa and the Patriots, which what it looks like, I still think they'll figure it out in nine and seven. It's maybe. Over. No? It's over. It's oh my God. If it's over and Tom Brady wins a chip this year, that man will be knighted, yo. Bro. Is he now he's in that discussion of greatest athlete of all time? Yeah. Do you feel like a quarterback can be considered the greatest athlete of all time, though? Mm. You know, like I just think like I mean, you just drop back and do one thing. You just throw the damn ball. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like basketball, you know, even different positions, different sports like you got to you do more. Right. Like the quarterback just drop back and throw the ball. It is. It's something a receiver would say that all a quarterback does is go back and just throw the ball. <laughs> But I think I think at the end of the day, at least as long as I'm living, that anybody that watched Michael Jordan, like that man is supposed to be called, in my opinion, the greatest athlete of all time. Now, that will change. Like whoever watched Babe Ruth play, he ain't alive or she ain't alive, but they may have felt that. But while we watched Michael Jordan play, my peers, different feeling emotionally. And LeBron is right there. It's all right there. These people, Serena, Tiger, Tom Brady, but MJ is yep. different, man. Different dude. That's right. That's right. All right, man. Well, look, it's been fun catching up. We should do this again. Come by the office. Let's do it. I'm in. All right, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. All right, bro. All right, bro.